Well, Father, you are a great God, and our words and voices seem to so inadequately ascribe praise to you and greatness. But it's the best we can do. Father, that our hearts would be filled with praise, that we would be grateful and thankful people this week. You have been so good to us, and your mercies are new even again this morning. We have a great salvation in Christ. We have our Bibles open on our laps. We have brothers and sisters in Christ, our church family gathered around us. We are immensely blessed. Father, help us to benefit now well from this time together as you do so well. Take your word and use it in us. Challenge us, grow us, correct us, calm our hearts with it. Give us uh, the strength that in our weaknesses you would be strong. Give us a, a determination and a discipline in our Christian walk that is so needed. We commit our time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have an announcement to make this morning, and it is this. The Christian life is hard to live. Do you know that? I'm not talking about the going to heaven part. That's the good part, right? You ever think about how the claims of Christ, the teaching of our New Testament... The transformative work of Christ after salvation and the standard of living to which the New Testament believer is called, how difficult that really is. I mean, think about it. Jesus said, if if someone reaches out and smacks you, turn the other cheek. I say, you got to be kidding me. I don't like that at all. I find it very difficult. If someone pokes me in the eye, to give them the other eye. How about um, closely related is that where Paul taught in Romans 12, he said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Do not recompense, do not repay evil with evil. Man. You're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. That means you're glad that he gets the bass boat just as happy as if you got the bass boat. I find that very, very difficult. How about the worry part? You have a heavenly father in heaven, takes care of the birds of the field, feeds them, flowers of the field. He clothes beyond even anything Solomon wore. And you're my children. How much more as your heavenly father will I take care of you? How many of you have added even an inch to your height by worrying? Do you find it easy to stop worrying? I find that very difficult. How about that servanthood concept? You want to be great in the kingdom of God? Do what? Learn to serve. Pick up your own trash. No, I didn't drop it there. I don't need to pick. You want to be great? Learn to serve. And it's not just the outward behavior, but it's the inward attitudes to which we're called to accompany the outward behavior or in actuality, which drives the outward behavior. How about waiting? Do you delight in waiting? I changed lines three times at McDonald's trying to find the shortest line. I hate to wait. Then you end up waiting in three lines instead of one. You know, it sounds easy, but I think one of the more difficult things we're called to, we find as our text today, 
And it's our Thanksgiving text. It's 1 Thessalonians rather than 1 Timothy. Just a few pages before you get to 1 Timothy is 1 Thessalonians, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Thessalonian believers. And it's another one of those teachings. This is kind of a bullet point teaching. It's almost as the Apostle Paul is wrapping up his letter to the Thessalonian believers Do you know what it is to write on a postcard and you still have a few things you want to say? And you've kind of written up all the space. And then on the bottom, in real small, you go to these really short sentences. You know, see you soon. I miss daddy. You know, got a big buck. It's like... The Apostle Paul is like ending out the letter here. And it's like he gets into these short sentences and he runs off this little bullet point of these things that we... We breeze through, and in fact, our text is quite simple. Look at verse 16, 17, and 18 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. But I would propose to you, as simple as these short sentences are, that these are, again, some of the more difficult things of the Christian life to live out. Verse 16. Rejoice always. Say that with me, would you please? Rejoice always. Now say 1 Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice always. Ready? 1 Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice always. You just memorized a Bible verse. Now go and live it. Rejoice always? I'll tell you, I have this problem. I I don't know if this is confession time or not. But, you know, we have Adopt a Highway here on on Daniel Road. And I live on Daniel Road. And we've got people that throw trash on Daniel Road. It's like their mission in life to trash Daniel Road. I have been on my lawnmower right at the edge of my lawn down at Daniel Road. They yell and throw trash right in front of me. Rejoice always. I'll tell you what, I'd like to get a little sniper nest up in the woods and get him with my deer rifle. Go ahead, throw your trash. I mean, I'd shoot their tires. Rejoice. What is this stuff all about? How do you live this stuff out? Verse 17. Pray without ceasing. Say that verse with me. Pray without ceasing. The word ceasing there means at all times... Pray. I think that it's only sensible. You know, the Bible is a pretty logical book. For example, there's not like a verse in the Bible that says, don't put sticks in your eye. Well, there's like, take sticks out of your eye. That was a bad illustration. But like, like don't sleep in the middle of the highway. That verse isn't in the Bible. Like, you know, don't, don't step off of high ladders. The Bible's pretty sensible. It doesn't tell us things that we're supposed to know. Obviously, you have to go to sleep at night. You you can't just keep praying. It's like, man, I'm drinking Red Bull. This is three days. I'm praying without ceasing. Let's not be foolish. But at all times, pray as opposed to, what, be angry, throw things, think that you're in charge. At all times, pray. Pray. Look to your heavenly Father. Now, verse 18 Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I would hurriedly point out what someone else has pointed out in the past. Give thanks in. It doesn't say give thanks for. There are other passages in Scripture that imply that we are, and I'm going to show you some, we are to be characterized as believers in the Lord Christ as thankful people. 
this is a concept that we struggle with sometimes. Okay, so you're sitting in the doctor's office and he looks at you and he says, uh, you've got cancer and blah, 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 and you're going to lose your hair and all. Oh, thank you, God. Praise God. Do we say thank you for that? I suspect that it's in that circumstance we are to have a spirit of gratitude for the greater picture. Sin-induced trials are not something for which we would thank God. Cancer is a result of living in a sin-cursed world. I don't thank God for sin in the fall and all the sickness that goes with it. But in the middle of living in this sin-cursed world, God calls us to what I find to be one of the more difficult concepts of the Christian life, and it is to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything to give thanks. Are you there? Are you there? These are easy days in which to be negative, days in which to find fault, days in which to gripe. We also tend to be kind of a spoiled people. Did you know that? We, we are people who have plenty, and we like our plenty. I don't think we necessarily have to apologize for plenty. All good gifts from, from God, come from God and are to be enjoyed. I think we have to be good stewards of our plenty. But my point is, is that like when I go to Malawi and I'm way out in a village, they never have a problem with the electricity going off. They never get a bad attitude about the electricity going off. There is no electricity. You know what I mean? When you have nothing, it seems like they actually grumble less than we who get our little TV viewing schedule upset because the lawnmower broke. And we can't get our work done on the time frame that we wanted to. Or that one of our three cars gets a flat tire. Oh. You see what I mean? It's difficult sometimes to live with plenty. Let's say these three concepts together. Verse 18 is give thanks in all circumstances. And then he concludes with, as we've seen, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I think the idea there is, is that when it's not sin-induced or stupidity-induced activities or realities in my life, that I am to have this spirit of gratitude and thankfulness. Sin is never something for which to give thanks, and the residuals of sin in my life are not something for which I give thanks. I have to deal with that. This is talking about circumstances out of my control. This is, this is getting noticed that your job is closing down and you're being transferred to another part of the state, and you have a pay cut. You're supposed to throw the stapler against the wall? No, you're supposed to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to turn to you and I will rejoice always here going to look at some reasons why we're supposed to have that attitude. But before we do, let's just review our little concepts here and get these verses in our minds because I want you to take them with you. I want us to choose to think differently. I want us to, to allow the Spirit of God because the fact of the matter is, apart from the work of the Spirit of God and Christ who lives in me, it is impossible to live this stuff out in the Christian life, Right? It is impossible not to worry. It is impossible not to throw a right hook back when you've been left hooked. It is impossible to live out these characteristics and qualities. But as our lives are, have been transformed and we're in the process of being sanctified, growing in Christ's likeness, then we can do these things. We can live out the commands and the claims of Christ in our lives. So that 
leads us to one reality, and that is the question of, are you born again? Does the Spirit of God in you? We'll talk more about that in a minute. Let's review our verses. 16, rejoice always. Ready? Say it. Rejoice always. 17, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. 18, give thanks in all circumstances. We're using the ESV this morning. One more time. Ready? 16, rejoice always. 17, pray without ceasing. 18, Give thanks in all circumstances. Boy, get that in your head and begin to let the Spirit of God show you how to do this. I will not be able to teach you how to do it, and I can't model it very well, I assure you. And so I preach to myself, along with our congregation this Thanksgiving week, that we would indeed be people who, number one, this attitude of Thanksgiving is not seasonal, but it is continual. Our first observation from our text today is that this kind of gratitude, this kind of uh, thankful spirit is not seasonal, but it is continual. Notice he says, rejoice when? Rejoice always. At all times, give thanks to the Lord. Our Bible is filled with references, Psalm 106, Psalm 107, other passages, many. Give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. And His mercies endure forever. We are to rejoice always. This is an attitude of joy, a spirit within us that can be seen on the outside rather than be characterized as negative, complaining, naysaying, griping, bad attitude Christians. How does that represent Christ in the world in which we live today? A bunch of attitude Christians who are walking around, It's shameful. And I'm as guilty as the next guy. It's not something that the week of Thanksgiving were to be thankful. Count your blessings this Thursday, everybody. And then hold on till next week. I mean, till next year and do it again. No, we are to be characterized continually as people who are grateful. The second thing I want you to see from this passage is that I do not believe it is emotional, but I believe it is spiritual. This is not emotional, but it is spiritual. Give thanks in all circumstances. Listen, there are circumstances in our lives that are just very, very uncomfortable. They are very difficult. Your wife comes to you and says she's done with you and off she goes. Your boss comes to you and says he's done with you and off you go. Somebody crosses a yellow line in the middle of a highway and hits you head on, creates tremendous grief in your life as you hold on to your very breath by your fingernails. I don't know how you do that, but anyway. This is not like put on a clown suit and say, rah, rah, happy, happy, rejoice, thankful always. I have to believe that the Apostle Paul is going a little deeper to the core of the Christian's being, to the character house of the Christian, to the boiler room, where the Spirit of God is at work. And that there are spiritual realities in my life so that it shows on my face, my countenance, my attitude, and that I can process life differently than a pagan. This is not emotional, it is spiritual. Let's... Let's do a, a real quick Bible study uh, in, in uh, 
a couple of other letters in which Paul wrote. It'll only take a minute. Turn to Ephesians. That's right back to your left a little bit. To Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verses 3 and 4. I think this is a really interesting list right here. And it's interesting to me that he puts the word thanksgiving right in the middle of it. And as I look at it, the only conclusion I have is that it's a spiritual reality in your life. It doesn't have to do with feelings. It based on your faith and based on the facts of the reality of, of the working of Christ in me, I will feel different eventually, but I'm not being thankful just because I want to kick up my heels because I feel so good. But there is spiritual truths. It's couched, it's couched in spiritual reality. Ephesians 5, 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as it is proper among saints. Let it never be among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Look at that. Isn't that interesting? Instead of having a foul, vulgar, inappropriate, trashy mouth, we are to be characterized by people who are people of gratitude. And it comes out in our words and in the behaviors of our lives, even our morality. We're not sexually immoral and we're not potty-talking people. We're known as thankful people. You kind of got to have to just think about why did he put that in that list right there? It's kind of funny. Because the spiritual reality of my life is that I am to be a grateful person for, my, for God's will in my life right now. Colossians chapter 2. There's going to be three different verses in Colossians where the Apostle Paul points out the spiritual reality of a, of, a, of a grateful heart in the life of the believer. I think it would be a good idea for you to underline these verses in your Bible. Begin in chapter 2. Look at verses 6 and 7. Chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Look what it says. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, that's a very spiritual reality, isn't it? So walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, okay, growing in Christ, letting Christ build you and grow you, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, and abounding in thanksgiving. There it is. Isn't that interesting? My life, as I grow in Christ is to be characterized by someone who is thankful. I am a thankful kind of person. Colossians 3, verses 15 through 17. We're building on the idea or the concept here that that this kind of gratitude or thankful spirit evident in the life of the believer is to be spiritual more than it is to be emotional. Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Peace, unity of the body, be thankful people. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's a spiritual growth thing. Teaching, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The residual of our praise and our worship and our growing together as a congregation is to be that we're to be seen as thankful people. That's interesting, isn't it? Keeps going. And whatever you do, 
in word or deed, verse 17, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. That reminds us of our 1 Thessalonians 5.18 verse, that whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, in everything then giving thanks. Listen, this is to be an identifying characteristic of all believers in the Lord Christ. That's astounding. I have to believe that if you sent private investigators to follow me around in my life, it would be a long time before they came back on their yellow tab of their descriptive terms for Pastor Van and had thankfulness on there. I mean, there's just that much wrong in the world, isn't there? There's just so much about which to have an attitude. And God says, no, if the Spirit of God is in you, and you're part of the body of Christ, you're to be characterized by a spirit of thanksgiving. This is very convicting. Chapter 4, verse 2, he says it again. He said it three times in 3, 15 through 17. Chapter 4 and verse 2 in Colossians, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer. There's a reminder, like the First Thessalonians 5, 17 verse, pray without ceasing. Colossians 4, 2, continue steadfastly in prayer. It's no wonder that the Apostle Paul, the common author here, would repeat themes as he speaks to his different churches. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with, there it is again, thanksgiving, with thanksgiving. Oh man, it's incredible, isn't it? To have this spiritual contentment, this spiritual growth, to be so identified with Christ. In fact, let's take just a minute and let's make a quick little look or list. This list could be much more complete. But what are some spiritual truths? What are some spiritual realities in the life of the believer that would lend themselves to this continual spirit or attitude of thankfulness? The first one that came to my mind as I made my list was our position in Christ. Our position in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 builds a case that we're dead in trespasses and sin. But then God is a loving God. He's not only a loving God, He's a pursuing God. And He's a God who comes after sinners. And you remember your day, don't you? When it all came together and you made sense and your sin overwhelmed you and the gospel was real and you recognized that it was Jesus Christ who went to the cross and took your place and you bowed your head and your heart before a holy God and you admitted your trashy, dirty, sinful life and position, you recognized that there was nothing in you, your filthy rags could not be held up before a holy and pure, righteous God, and he would say, oh yeah, I'm pretty impressed with that. It's only a little bit dirty. No, we are in this spiritual dead position, helpless, beyond hope. But God, out of his great love and kindness, sent his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Praise God. And then Paul goes back and forth. Ephesians chapter 1 has this, this incredible teaching that when you are in Christ, He seats you in the heavenlies. You are positioned in Christ in the heavenlies. I don't really get it, but I really like it. 
I don't really understand what that means. It means at some level that in the way that the standing of Christ, all that is in Christ and all the positioning of Christ, I am not a God, but God equates me with Christ and I am positioned in the heavenlies in Christ. So that when a holy and righteous God sees me, a redeemed one, who's been to the cross, exchanged my sin for the righteousness of Christ, he no longer sees me as a dirty, rotten sinner that he must condemn to hell. He cannot not condemn you to hell. But he sees you equal with the way he sees his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're seated in the heavenlies. We have this lofty position in Christ. People who are seated in the heavenlies shouldn't muck around in the muck, should they? I mean, it's a spiritual perspective. And I recognize it doesn't take away the pain of the surgery you had yesterday. It doesn't take away the pain of the loss. It doesn't take away the pain of of the sinful things that have gone on around you that you've had no ability to control and injustices have swept through your world. I just think that if God is telling Paul to write to us, to tell us to continually be thankful that one of the reasons has to be because we're positioned in the heavenlies in Christ. Amen? I think so. I won't take as long on the rest, but let's click off a few more. How about our perspective on life? Our perspective on life. One of the guys over at Bakerton this morning when we had a testimony. Things are going well at Bakerton, by the way. Keep praying for them. It's very good. Today was my last day to go over there on the 12-week window that we had announced. Um, I may slip over once in a while, but we'll be back to kind of normal Fellowship Bible Church. Um, And I appreciate our staff guys rotating through here and there. We had a little testimony time this morning, and one of the guys stood up and gave a testimony about how he lost his job in Beckley, was transferred up here, they ended up moving in an efficiency apartment up here because they didn't know the area. He had to move up here, start, start his job up here that he was switched up to. No ability on his own to make changes. It's a government job, and so they shipped and packaged up his stuff, and it's in a storage container out in Ohio somewhere. What was interesting to me, he said, they have lived without it for six months, and right now his wife and he, and he are trying to understand and make decisions about what they should do because they've like forgotten about what their stuff is. You know, that's a good point for all of us who are in Christ. That a perspective on this life is that this is not my home. I am a pilgrim. I am an alien. I'm a stranger. I am an ambassador. He sent me on a mission. He will not forget me. He will take care of me. I'm to represent him well. I am not to put down stakes and camp here. Why is it that we're so connected to earthy? We're such earthlings, aren't we? And I think that if you're going to have a spirit of gratitude and thankfulness, you have to get your mind out of this world and into your heavenly home, looking forward to a city whose maker and builder is God, Not built by hands here on earth with cement foundations. Or this world will suck the thankfulness out of you. You will never stack up your Legos and get them in order enough so that by next Thursday, if everything goes according to my plan, I'll be happy. 
And I'll be thankful. No, next Thursday we'll have enough evil of its own to deal with. And if you're trying to put in order the things of this world to such a degree that you will then be happy, new deer rifle, big screen TV, this, that, and the other thing, and about that time, you know, that's when you get cancer or something. It's like it doesn't work down here. It's not about this world. How about the promises of God? The promises of God. Philippians 4.19 is a good one. It's kind of like having God's credit card in your back pocket. You know Philippians 4.19, don't you? And my God shall supply some of your needs. Oh, excuse me. And my God shall supply all of your needs according to His riches and glory. Well, you say, well, his riches and glory must be pretty limited according to the way my needs have been met. No, just your definition of your needs and his definition of your needs are two different things. And you don't have the mind of Christ. See, we have to line up with God's mind, don't we? It's hard. I'm not standing up here saying this is like fun, fun. I'm telling you, this is the, this is the, the challenge of the Christian life. That my mind and thought patterns would be intersecting with such, with the Word of God in such a way that the mind of Christ is becoming mine so that I can say, I can be thankful at all times. And, and the joy of the Lord is in me and it shows without ceasing. It's incredible. The presence of God is something else. Hebrews 13, 4. The presence of God is a reason I can have thankfulness and gratitude in all circumstances. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Those are promises that you can count on. There's a perspective as to why this thankfulness without ceasing is not emotional, but it is spiritual. Spiritual realities in which I find my joy our position in Christ, a new perspective on life, the promises of God, the presence of God. I remember, and I've told you about this lady before here at Fellowship Bible Church, that when I was a youth pastor back in the mid-1980s in Ephrata, Pennsylvania, we had a practice of once a month loading up a handful of kids in our church van and going to visit the church shut-ins in their homes. And we would go and visit a little lady named Rosie Wolf. Interestingly enough, there's a lady attending Bakerton right now named Rosie Wolf, and I always think of her when I hear her name. Rosie Wolf was um, a Mennonite lady raised up in Pennsylvania, born about the turn of the 20th century in the early 1900s, had an alcoholic father who abandoned a whole household of children, and she tells all the old stories. They're the kind my dad told, about like waking up in the morning with snow on your blankets. Do you ever hear those stories? Oh, yeah, yeah. If you've been around Eugene very long, my dad, he'll tell you all about what it means to grow up in the north woods of Wisconsin with nothing. Rosie Wolf had the same stories, you know, going in the morning to the wash basin, having to break the ice out of it, and it's in the kitchen to get water ready and get the stove going, and just the difficult, hard life that Rosie lived. Rosie had a nice little brick rancher in a community there, and Rosie was taking care of her husband, Lloyd, who was a dairy farmer who had lived um, about the last 15 years, if I remember correctly, um, as, an, as an invalid, as a totally helpless person because of some strokes. 
And for uh, somewhere between 10 and 15 years, she took care of him on a back bed in a bedroom in the back of her home. He had been a dairy farmer, and on the wall was a water painting of their big, beautiful dairy farm. Rosie had grown up in those difficult circumstances and married Lloyd. He was the love of her life. They had had children. And there was this precious lady in her 80s tending this old man back in that bedroom, And I have to tell you, and I think Janet would probably agree, I don't want to speak for her, but if you have to name the top three people in your lifetime that you've ever met who live out 1 Thessalonians 5.18 in everything, give thanks, that Rosie Wolf is at the top of the list. That lady never had a negative word. That lady was always positive. And every time, almost, that we visited, she would take us to the kitchen and say, Oh, young people, we have so much to be thankful for. Look, I have water. And she would turn the water spigot on and off. And then she would tell us the old stories about the ice on the bucket. You know, and walking a mile, you know, uphill both directions from the well. But you know, Rosie had a great confidence that her heavenly father was watching over her and she knew Jesus Christ had carried her sin to the cross and she had faith in Christ. And she was living out her vows. And the care and the great pride, we used to visit her after Lloyd passed away and she would repeat this story as well about how the funeral director told her What good shape Lloyd's body was in after lying in that bed. Never once in all those years did he ever have a bed sore. It was her joy and her delight. She was a very positive person, very thankful person. Listen, life circumstances don't bring those that reality to your thinking. It's a perspective that comes from the spiritual realities of your life. Let me conclude with this final thought. Number three, it is not conditional, but it is intentional. I suggest that the Apostle Paul knows very well, as he writes and pens these words, rejoice always, give thanks in all circumstances, that it is not based on the conditions of our lives, but that it is an intentional spiritual choice that we have to make. Have you made the choice? And then have you allowed the Spirit of God to show you the things that need to change in your life so that you can be this kind of person? I don't know that it just happens by itself. I think it's something that is intentional. The most intentional, thankful person I can think of as modeled in Scripture is the Apostle Paul. Let me remind you of a couple circumstances in his life that would be impossible in which to be thankful. One happened in Acts chapter 16. You don't have to turn there. Acts chapter 16, the Apostle Paul and his buddy Silas were sitting in jail. They were in stocks. They were in Philippi. They had been preaching the gospel Wicked people had shut them down, had arrested them, put them in chains, put them in cuffs, put them in stocks. You need to know that these jails, these prisons, these holding cells would be awful places. They would not meet the standard of today in the incarceration facilities that we have. They were pits, they were dungeony, they were wet, they were filthy, you did not have rights, you had your food thrown in on the floor, you sat in your own excrement, they were places where people went out of their minds and so you're in stocks neck to crazy, wild, unshaven, unbathed beasts of people. It was horrific and horrible. Found in only today probably in some third world prison cell. It says at midnight, in the middle of the night, after being brutally beaten, no doubt, running fevers, open wounds, 
in stocks, Paul and Silas are sitting there. And what are they doing? You know the story well, don't you? They're praising God and singing hymns. In all circumstances, rejoice, give thanks. Silas says to Paul, Hey, do you remember that one? Before the throne of God above. Let's sing that one, Paul. I like that one. They sing it and squack it out. Maybe the prison got quiet. The crazy people are listening. The jailer stands still. How about this one, Silas? Paul says, Grace alone which God supplies. Oh, that word grace. Let's just sing it, Paul. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. And you know the rest of the story, don't you? That in the middle of their praise, the earth began to shake. The jail falls apart. The Philippian jailer is ready to fall on his sword. Paul says, no, wait. And people have been baptizing babies ever since because the Philippian jailer went and baptized his baby. Now that's an aside. The Philippian jailer and his family got saved. I shouldn't have said that. If Paul and Silas hadn't been singing hymns and praises and choruses, would they have been ready to minister in the moment of opportunity when the Philippian jailer's ready to fall on his sword? They would not have. They would have been totally consumed with themselves. They would have been totally bitter about the injustice of God. They're, they're some of God's finest servants, and he's not paying attention to them, and he's not taking care of them. And they would have been so consumed with the momentary circumstances of their lives that they would not have been fit ministers of the gospel. I think that this spirit of an attitude of intentional thankfulness in the life of the Apostle Paul, God used it over and over and over again. There was another time in Acts chapter 27, he's on a ship full of prisoners. They set out in the fall of the year to sail, a bunch of prisoners being transported. Paul told them not to go. It was a bad time of year to sail. They didn't listen to him. He's a preacher. What does he know? They end up in this mega superstorm for 14 days, two weeks. They're, they're tossed, blown. It was horrific. Storm of the century. And they blew way off course. They threw off everything in the ship. They took ropes and tied it all the way around the ship. They had big ropes and they just took them and tied them around the ship just to hold the thing together. They lost their rigging. Even the most seasoned sailors are barfing and it's terrible and they can't eat. It says it in the passage. And after two weeks, Paul calms them down and he gets some bread out and he says, you guys have to eat. We're not going to lose one person. And then it says he broke the bread and he did what? He gave thanks to God. Out there, Cast away, the ship ended up breaking apart. Not a, serf, not a single man was lost. In the middle of the storm, the Apostle Paul was demonstrating a thankful spirit. What an opportunity! What an opportunity for God's man in the middle of a two week storm to demonstrate a stability that no one else had. Not the captain, not the sheriff who was guarding the prisoners. Not the most seasoned sailors who were transporting the prisoners, but the Apostle Paul had a testimony that those men never forgot the rest of their lives, and no doubt many became believers in the Lord Christ. They end up on the island of Malta. Those people believe. 
Because the Apostle Paul was grateful in his circumstances, was rejoicing and thankful. He wasn't a downcast, negative Christian whose words no one wanted to be around. I wonder if our influence is being limited because of not being thankful people. Let's pray. Before I close in prayer, would you ask God to renew your heart in this area? It's a difficult thing. Christian life's not easy. We're going to admit that straight up front. I invite you to come to know Christ today. Have your sin forgiven. Exchange your sinfulness for the righteousness of Christ. Become a new creation in Christ by putting your faith and trust in Him right now where you are. Then you will have the capacity to live a thankful life. I needed this message today. I don't know if you did. By God's grace... We will not be a negative church. We will not be a a church that complains and gripes and moans. We will be an encouraging people. We will be a people who are positive about their God, who are rejoicing, continually in prayer, giving thanks in all circumstances. Father, would you make that our testimony today? Would you use us in the difficult days in which we live? And it would appear that it's potentially uh, true that there will even be increasingly difficult days. And would you just help us to be people who have our minds stayed on Christ, who are able to rejoice in all seasons, who have these spiritual realities in our lives and we're not just on an emotional roller coaster ride? that by intention we will choose to follow after you in obedience these directives to rejoice, to pray, to be thankful, to recognize that your will is at work in our lives. Would you use this to challenge us and encourage us, Lord? And thank you this week that most of us will gather around loaded tables of food in quiet and calm communities And we have been abundantly blessed and we would say thank you and help us to be good stewards of these days of abundance. We would pray for those today who are under the sound of air raid sirens, both Arab and Israeli alike, Afghani, the horrible, horrific realities of sin in this world. Would you please bring peace in these areas? Thank you for the peace that we enjoy today. In Jesus' name. Amen.